Welcome to The Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. Before I get to today's show, I wanted to let everyone know that we experienced a few issues with audio quality. We didn't notice them when we were recording the show, but when I started to do the post-production, they became apparent. I did my best to clean them up, but there are still a few artifacts here and there. We're working on the issue, and I think I have a solution, so this should just be a temporary one-time thing, but I just wanted to let you know. With me today for our regular weekly news analysis show is my co-host, attorney and Republican strategist, Jay Carson. You know, before we get started, Jay, I think we know how everyone feels about ads, right? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and they so, love them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I, well, some people might be disappointed, but I'm betting a few more people will be happy to hear that this episode is going to be ad-free. Now, of course, if you'd like to hear more ad-free episodes of the, of the Politics Guys, there's something you can do to help us out. We hope you'll consider supporting the show by going to politicsguys.com and clicking on the Patreon link you'll find there. Thanks so much for your support. Okay, and now on to our first story. We open, we'll open, let's open this week, Jay, with uh, FCC Chair uh, Ajit Pai's announcement that the agency will be voting on a repeal of the net neutrality rules that were put into place by the Obama administration back in 2015. Now, the vote won't be until December 14th, but honestly, it's little more than a formality since the other two Republicans on that five-person panel are almost certainly going to be joining the chairman. So this is, I think, pretty much a done deal, I'd say, at this point. Would you agree? I'd agree, yes. Yeah. And, you know, so Pi and the other folks who are in favor of this are are essentially calling it a return to the pre-2015 status quo. But- Actually, if you look at the proposal, it's more sweeping than they're portraying it to be because it would essentially reverse FCC rulings prohibiting providers from blocking and throttling certain services. And these are rulings that actually date back to 2005. Now, of course, Comcast, AT&T, big, big service providers like that, and by the way, Verizon, where incidentally, Pi previously worked as an attorney. Um, now, They see this, right, they're characterizing this as a corrective against what's been called heavy-handed rules that have kind of squelched investment. Now, that's kind of a strange argument to me, since SEC filings show that investments are actually up since 2015 when this supposedly awful, onerous regulation went into effect. Um, Now, on the other side, you have opponents like big tech companies like Facebook, Google, and Netflix, and all sorts of small businesses who worry that they won't be able to compete with big companies that can afford preferential treatment. And also, I should point out, the public's very much opposed. A support for net neutrality is both overwhelming and bipartisan. In a recent poll, around three-quarters of all Americans were in favor of keeping net neutrality, and that's with 81% of Democrats in favor and 73% of Republicans in favor. So, Jay, uh, what's your position on this? Well, and, you know, my position doesn't matter, but I would say the, I think the more conservative position. And first of all, I'd say, you know, if you look at the public outcry uh, over this, I, I think the big piece of it is that this is a difficult issue to understand. Um, it's and it's not exactly clear what it'll do. And, and, and look, I, I to me, this is this is the perfect example of, uh, you know, essentially government rent seeking and. and and, and it ought to trouble more people the, the more they understand this. And this is, is also an example of, of every time uh, the government acts to create some sort of a benefit for some group, uh, a, a tremendous lobby will spring up to protect that benefit uh, at all costs. And in this case, the benefit that uh, the net neutrality rules from 2015 have, have put in uh advantage those uh, companies like Netflix and Amazon that provide a lot of streaming services uh, and because it requires the the cable companies, the transmitters, uh, to to send those uh, uh, programs, if you will, at the same rate that it does other other data, other websites, uh, even though those programs take up a lot more bandwidth of of uh, what what they're providing. So, you know, and to me, and and, and again, the, the the knowledge I would use, and I, I would say. Look, the, the 2015 thing, I mean, I think that's that's important because I, I, I do think this is different from a status quo. And we, we, get, we can, right, I, I don't think the status quo, um, if we were to go back to the pre-2015, would, would be that terrible. Uh, 
Uh, most people had a, a fine internet experience then. And, and, and I, I agree things need to change because of what's happening now with, with more streaming. Um, but that to me is, is all the more reason why you, you don't want net neutrality. And, and I think a lot of, you know, the, look, the, the smart people who were, um, uh, would benefit from this got got uh, got ahead early by coining the phrase net neutrality because who who doesn't want uh, uh, neutrality right who doesn't want everybody to be treated equal that sounds really nice um, but but you know let me let me think of it this way say you are shipping because it's you know the the Christmas season or the uh, whatever whatever uh, pagan solstice fest uh, you guys celebrate um, and and you want to ship something uh, to someone across the country, if you go to UPS, uh, they will charge you based on how much that package weighs, how big the package is, and how soon you need to get it there. So if you need to ship a couch across the country uh, and you want it there the next day, you're going to pay a premium for that. Uh, if you're just sending someone a gift card and it can be there in the next two or three days, you're going to pay substantially less. And I think most people would think, geez, that sounds pretty pretty reasonable and fair. Um, you know, especially if, if you were, say, you know, Pottery Barn and you're shipping couches across the country and you used to be able to ship it at the same same letter rate. Um, so I, to me, I think people ought, ought to, to think about it in, in that framework first. Um, the, the idea that... Um, you know, a, a transmitter, let's say the UPS company, can, can charge more to one customer than another, um, is actually a very pro-consumer situation because what it creates is you can opt in at, at whatever tier you want and the, the, the big guys are going to pay more. Uh, and that's going to give the uh, transmitter, in this case, you know, the cable companies, or if you continue the, the UPS, UPS analogy, um, give them incentives to make more investments because they'll make more money. Uh, and, and that to me is, is what you want at the end is, is more investment. Um, now you cited some figures that said investment was up. Uh, I had seen other uh, figures indicating that investment was down now since 2015. Um, now not tremendously. Um, uh, I think the, the numbers I saw were something like they'd cut investment by like 5% at, uh, in those years. Um, but I, I think you're, you're, you know, you compare it not against, um, you know, are they always making investments? Sure. Well, you hope so. Um, but, uh, how, how much bigger would the investment be, uh, if they have the, the ability to monetize, uh, the streaming services, which are going to be the next big thing. Sure. And yeah, obviously and that, was necess- that was necessarily a long answer because this is, this topic is just something that, that it's, it's, it's really arcane and it, it, it takes a while to talk about. Sure, absolutely. And, and you know, uh, uh, I would say on the investment issue, of course, it's always difficult to to, to prove a counterfactual, right? What, what would investment have been like otherwise? You know, and we've talked about that in previous episodes with other things. But let me start by saying, well, first off, I disagree with you. Uh, but, but second, you make some important points, and I think these are points that haven't come out. You know, net neutrality is one of these issues that's become sort of an article of faith or, or right. a, a strong thing, especially on the left. And I, I, in the end, I sympathize and I agree with that position. But I think the point you make is a very important point, and I think it's a very good analogy that you used. You know, and I would, in fact, uh, agree with you. Uh, if if I didn't think that the internet was different, if I didn't think that your thinking was sort of stuck in the 20th century on this issue. So, and, and let me explain what, okay. I, what I mean. Ouch. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, <laughs> we're 20th century kind of guys. So, but we are, yeah. but I'm just a little more evolved, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. But no, here's, here's what I mean. I, I think that in a perfect world or even in a better world that there would be a lot less government interference, uh, regulation, of the internet, you know, but that's not the world we live in. I, I think that the internet has essentially become the equivalent of, uh, for, for most Americans, I would say, like a public utility, basically, and almost a necessity, a thing that people depend on, like they do electricity and water and so forth. And there's a reason why we have uh, regulation, heavy regulation of these industries, a couple of reasons. Number one, there's so- and that's essentially what the FCC did in 2015. They declared the internet a public utility. Yeah. 
Exactly. And, and I think there are a couple good reasons for that. One is that just it's become such a necessary thing for people's lives. I found that out recently when my internet went out and I was, you know, practically lost. But a second reason has to do with something called natural monopolies. Uh, just like it's, you know, it's, it's hugely expensive to string all this cable, to string all this fiber optic wire and so forth. And so what we have is a situation just like with, uh, with the, the gas company, the electric company, that sort of thing. You have what are called natural monopolies. And so, you know, I agree with the FCC chairman that, that, yeah, ideally what we would have is all we need is transparency. And so let's say, and this is how he's basically been pushing it, saying we're going to have a lot more transparency. And so let's say that Verizon wants to throttle or block certain services. They have to let you know that. And then you can make an informed decision as a consumers. Do I want to stick with Verizon or do I want to go with Comcast or something like that? And that to me would be an ideal situation. But here's the problem. A 2015 study by the FCC found that only 24% of all census blocks had two or more broadband providers. Now, competition is a little higher in urban areas, but even then, the number's only 36%. So what that means is in a vast majority of the country, you have broadband monopolies. And so this idea, transparency only works if there's competition. And so I think the focus should be more than anything else on how do we, how does government, how can government act to ensure or to promote competition? And this doesn't do that. This Amen. Just, you're, think, you're thinking on the wrong way. Oh, okay. well, well, this doesn't do that, but here's something that would do that. What I would love to see I would love to see a national fiber infrastructure project. I mean, kind of like, uh, you know, the, 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 the federal interstate highway project in the 1950s, 1960s, that had huge positive externalities. It was a great thing for, you know, for innovation, for, for business, for everyone, really. I say this is the 24th, the 21st century. Led, led to the way. Great flight that destroyed our cities well, led to the soulless suburban landscape. There were certain uh, negative externalities. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But I think you would agree that that by far that is a that is a positive thing. That is one of the 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 great shining examples of a national public works project right. that has. No, I, I agree. I'm just I'm just messing with it. Okay. But yes, but and, understand and, there aren't well, any consequences. And, and here's yeah, absolutely. And here's what I'm saying. Now, a few years back, Goldman Sachs calculated that the cost for Google to take their fiber optic service that they have in a few lucky cities, and that's super fast, it's one gigabyte per second. Um, the cost for them to do that for the entire country would be $140 billion. Now, that would be a lot for Google, and they're not going to do that, but that would not be at all that much for a national infrastructure project. And, and if, if that was done by the federal government on a nationwide level, then those lines could be leased at a reasonable rate to all sorts of competitors. And then we would see an amazing flowing of, of innovation and competition. And that, I think, is a great example of a role, of a great role for government to step in and to create the condition where entrepreneurs, where companies can get involved, can compete, and the consumer would benefit in a huge way. Cause right now, if you take a look at our fiber, or sorry, our broadband service in the United States, compared to most other rich developed countries. It stinks. It's expensive. It's slow. And this to me is a great example of while, you know, I understand the arguments for limited government. This is a great example where government could step in to complement, to increase competition and to really make a positive difference uh, for, for consumers around the country. And you, you know, it'd be good because the government built it. Well, see, um, and that, that to me, that, that reflects I mean, a sort of anti-government thing. And I know, I know you're just kind does, of joking. Yes, of course, of course. Um, uh, and, and, and that sort of goes back to, you know, my, my sense is, is look, I, I'm very much in favor of infrastructure, but I, I think the better way to do it is to create incentives uh, for pro private companies to uh, improve and build new infrastructure. Um, the other fun thing, a little bit funny, I mean, you accuse me of being a 20, 20th century guy. Um, man, you're still talking about wires, uh, and so forth. That's, uh, that's, that's old school. Um, and I think if you think about what we're going to be dealing with, uh, in the coming centuries, it's going to be more and more wireless, more and more trans, but, but re regardless, uh, I think the, the problem is you, you talk about wanting to incentivize and I shouldn't, I hate that. I hate that word. I take that back. Uh, me too. Uh, create yeah. incentives. Um, 
uh, for for companies to um, uh, invest, there there's absolutely no incentive if you create a rule that says as uh, you can't charge the big customer any more than the small customer. Uh, and in fact, the the old FCC rule uh, would have allowed the FCC to put in uh, price controls. Now, they they hadn't. They had uh, sort of held off on doing that. Um, but, you know, what's what's to why? Why would, uh, um, uh, you know, UPS want to change its structure to make it more competitive if at the end of the day it has to just charge the exact same price as FedEx uh, for everyone? Um, I, look, I get the natural monopoly argument, um, but you could you could make that argument that that's what existed years ago in, in shipping, right? Uh, I mean, you had the U.S. Postal Service and then you you had, well, these sort of outliers who did special business shipping um, but, but now it's, it's taken off and you have, you know, much more, uh, traffic flowing in the private shipping, uh, uh, you know, UPS FedEx, uh, world than, than you do, uh, in, in the, uh, the U S post office, because in large part, it's seen as more reliable. Uh, so, well, uh, you know, that's, let me, let me, let me just say, I, I see what you're saying, but I think that you're, you're maybe downplaying a little bit the amount of differenti- differentiation that there can be. Like, for instance, certain areas of Cincinnati where I live are fortunate enough to have broadband competition between uh, Cincinnati Bell and, uh, and Comcast. And in those areas, Cincinnati Bell actually offers a package of services that is a, a little better, a little less expensive than what Comcast offers. And those two companies can compete on on the packages they offer the sort of uh the the you know for the tv part of it the the tv package the, you know that sort of thing so there there are ways to differentiate services it isn't all about so th- this isn't like it's just like some like we're talking about water or electricity a thing that is just a thing this is there's there's a lot of ways for there to be real competition just it, and it doesn't mean that just because you can't charge netflix more than you charge you know some startup that doesn't mean that there isn't real competition because there is real competition. In fact, in, you know, a lot of studies, for instance, where Google has come to town, the various towns they've come to and, and strung their, their networks, all of a sudden there's been real competition and there have been prices that have dropped and services that have improved. And so this has been a boon to consumers and I'd like to see more of it. Yes. So, so, so keep the government out of it. But that's the problem is that the government, that you can't have that kind of competition because no one's willing to invest all the money in that system. And I think that's that's a perfect role for for government there. They they will invest the money if they can see the return. And I think that's why uh, I think my view and I think the, the conservative economic view is uh, one ought to oppose net neutrality, uh, even though it sounds really nice, uh, be, because uh Doing that will create that incentive um, to to build more and better networks and and to make more investment because they'll make more money. Two things. Um, first off, number one, you need to work on a different term because you're right. I, the net neutrality thing just sounds awful for your side, but I know what you're saying. But but second, let me ask you this: uh, one one critique of uh, a non-net neutrality internet is comes from small businesses from startups who say listen if we have to play if we if we can't afford to get preferential treatment preferential speeds from these ISPs there's no way we're going to be able to compete with the big companies and so this is basically just taking the status quo and ensuring that the the most you know the small handful of deep pocketed companies are going to dominate the internet and companies like you know now big internet companies like Etsy and and other things like that who started from essentially nothing said you know there's no way we would be able to do what we what we were able to do if we would have had to pay for decent access be I mean do you think that's a legitimate concern no no because I, I again the idea that you would be able to differentiate between the the type of uh, uh, streaming the, the amount of pipe that's being used so to speak uh, for something like Etsy which certainly has uh, a lot of a lot of business a lot of traffic but is still way way down uh, you know in terms of data used compared to something like Netflix Um you know, if you, uh, the traditional website, the web business, uh, the, the amount of data that 
that's transferred uh, by that business compared to again YouTube, uh, Netflix, Amazon uh, is it's night and day. And so I, I think, look, if you're talking about, I have a mom and pop startup that wants to have a streaming video business. Well, maybe, uh, maybe the model is that you create that and start getting buzz and then get, get bought out by Netflix or Amazon or something like that. Um, or I, I mean, I, I guess that's, you know, well, re- regardless in, in big media, those are going to be the big, there's always going to be big players because not, not only do they have to pay a lot for, uh, the, the access and the delivery, but they have to pay a lot for the content. Sure. Either either to buy it from from some other content provider, you know, movie studios, what have you, or to create it on their own, which which you know now they're doing and and having great success at. So so you don't you don't see from what I'm hearing, you don't see any downside at all to uh, revoking these rules and going back to sort of a pre 2005 uh, situation. No downside at all. Well, I think I. Th- I think to say we're going to back to the pre-2005 situation overstates it. Uh, pre-2015 situation, I'd, I'd, I don't think there's any problem there. Well, that's the public. That's what they're saying in public. But the fact of the matter is, is if you if you read the proposed regulation, it basically – because there have been a series since 2005 of FCC rulings that have essentially uh, said that you're not allowed to engage in, in throttling or banning of, of services if sure. you're an well, ISP. And, 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 the, and F, that would, well, the, F, the, and the FTC would still have authority – to police any sort of anti-competitive uh, uh, things like that, of shutting shutting out a competitor's uh, progress, they would they would take a, a good look at uh, deals that would would uh, have exclusive content and providers with uh, teaming up with with uh, transmitters, right? So if you have have Comcast who says, "Hey, we're going to be your exclusive Netflix provider," uh, the the FTC would, would likely take a good hard look at that. Um, our next story, and if they're taking good hard looks at other things, those are, they would certainly take a good hard look at that. Um, so I, I don't, uh, no, I don't see the problem. I, I guess my last analogy is, is, is look, if you're just going to talk general principles about uh, creating things and having, uh, treating them as utilities versus uh, deregulating them and let the, letting the market go. I did a little math and you know, this occurred to me over the Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, we had phone calls from uh, uh, friends and relatives across the country, and and not once did uh, anyone say, "Hurry up, it's long distance." Um, you're old enough to to remember that, right? Sure, absolutely. That wow, this is a long distance call. Hurry up, quick! This is this is this is costing everyone money. This is a big deal. Um, I I ran the numbers on what it would cost. Uh, to do our podcast where we talk for between, between the, you know, setting up the show and all that, probably about two hours a week uh, in 1985, at 1985 rates uh, to do this at a phone call. Uh, it would, it would cost us about 200 bucks um, to make, to make those phone calls. And now we're doing it uh, more or less for free. Uh, and it's, it's better quality. And, you know, so to me, that's, that's, that's innovation. That's because, uh, the government said we're not going to treat, um, we're, we're busting up the, the, uh, telephone monopolies and there's going to be competition and those companies are going to compete in which they did. And they competed and to the point where they created the world we live in now, where there's, there's, uh, uh, internet for everyone, broadband for everyone. Um, so that's that's where I am is is that the track record uh, for government regulation is that you get less innovation. Um, I think uh, I think let's put it this way. At least I, I can understand some arguments uh, for and against net neutrality. Uh, what I don't understand is sort of the the panic about it. The sure. The, the 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 hyperactive reaction. Sure. Well, I, I would say that you and I absolutely are in agreement on the importance of competition and what competition competition can do for consumers. There's no there's no real dispute between us there. Uh, I think where where we you know we differ is in terms of how this is going to affect that and is this actually better for innovation in the long run? And I say and I say certainly no, and you say certainly yes. And one final thing before we move on, I know we've been on this story for a while, but I think it's you know an important story, the kind of policy thing we like to dig into, that this isn't just because the FCC might rule, well, they will rule to roll back these rules. Um, you know, it's still going to be, there's going to be a lawsuit 
Sure. Multiple lawsuits. And, and the thing is, is, uh, you know, the Supreme Court has previously ruled that an agency has to examine the relevant data and articulate a satisfactory explanation for its action when it rolls back or changes rules. And some people might think, well, if you're an agency, you can just do what you want. And that's that's just not the case. Uh, agencies are very constrained in many instances. Well, I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say very somewhat constrained, constrained somewhat yeah. constrained. And so but but given there's, that there's this always, is court, the court will always give deference to the agency. Right. But I, I would say that this, certainly there will be a there will be a big fight over this. And I don't know exactly how it's going to how it's going to uh, play out. But this isn't going to be like all of a sudden, boom, sometime in mid-December, all of a sudden net neutrality is going away. There's going to be lawsuits. I would bet there's going to be there might be injunctions. We'll see uh, about that. But uh, this definitely is a story, a to be continued type of story for sure. Yeah. Well, in the last last but, but not least. The other way to to deal with this is rather than having the unelected bureaucrats at the FCC make broad sweeping rules is actually have elected representatives in Congress put together uh, an Internet uh, policy. Well, yeah, I think that would be ideal. Assuming Congress could actually, you know, do anything, <laughs> but, right. but yeah. Um, so yeah. All right. Um, well, well, let's move on. You know, uh, AT&T, they were obviously cheering the news coming out of the FCC about this. They weren't at all happy to learn that the Justice Department will be suing to block their $85.4 billion merger with Time Warner. Now, the move was the government giveth and the government taketh away. There you away. go, you know. I, and this was a bit of a surprise because you don't generally think of the Trump administration as opposing what big corporate interest wants. At least I don't. Uh, but but more than that, I think is the unusual nature of the Justice Department's action here because. The merger would be a so-called vertical merger, meaning a combination of companies that don't directly compete. And historically, while the government sometimes asks for certain concessions before approving big vertical mergers or saying that they're not going to challenge them, they don't sue to block them because they're not seen as strictly anti-competitive. But in this case, the Trump administration is arguing that the merger should be blocked because it would result in higher prices for consumers. So, Jay, what do you think? <laughs> well, I, you know, uh, again, you always ask me what I think, and I, I should I should clarify to listeners. I I try not just to put out what I think, but I, I guess what I what I think the the conservative position sure. is or ought to be. I guess that's a better Good way. Good point. Yeah. Which which usually which usually coincides with what I think, but yeah. What, you know, you what I'm saying is you shouldn't take this because hey, this is what I think. It's it's because. I am sort of transmitting the wisdom of, of a lot of other people uh, <laughs> yeah. who think the other way and, and hopefully uh, transmitting it well. Um, actually, I, I tend to be, and, and I think the conservative wisdom uh, tends to be uh, with, with you in saying that this is a uh, really sort of a stretch for, for antitrust regulators. Uh, it would be breaking new ground. Uh, the I, I would say, look, most conservatives, if you if you talk about, again, there's the idea of, of not having the government intervene too much in the economy, uh, tend to be skeptical of uh, FTC uh, weighing in on who ought to merge and who ought, ought not to merge. Uh, and and this is this is particularly one of those cases. Uh, I, I think it's kind of far-fetched that there's going to be this real anti-competitive effect uh, that, that is being pushed. And, and I worry about the precedent uh, of, of the FTC getting more involved in vertical mergers which you know tend to be a a win win for everybody most of the time. Now there's there's arguments also that you know this is just sort of a, a you know animus from the Trump administration uh, that they don't like CNN and they want to stick at the time Time Warner and and so forth. Um, and that's even more troubling uh, to me yeah, as I, a, a conservative is I I don't know how much of that is is actually in there because look antitrust and I, Analysis. There's there's a lot of moving pieces and a lot of stuff to figure out. And the people who put together this suit, um, I think, are necessarily thinking about it on a lot deeper level than say what what Trump is. Um, but um, uh, regardless, I, I don't think I don't think there is a really strong antitrust case uh, to be made uh, against this merger. Yeah, I, I don't I don't buy the so I'm, I'm sort of I'm, I'm being I'm being consistent. I'm I'm yeah, get the government out of net neutrality, get the government out of messing around with these, this merger and uh, let everybody sort it out themselves. Yeah, I, I don't buy that, you know, that Trump 
hate, I mean, I buy that Trump hates CNN, obviously, but I don't buy that that has any role in it. To me, I mean, given the fact that almost everyone who knows something about uh, about antitrust law says that this is a very weak case, my sense is this and, is more of I a- do. Yeah, well, there you go. So this is, I think this is much more of a negotiation tactic. I mean, they were pushing to get AT&T to sell off more assets maybe than AT&T was willing to do in the pre-lawsuit negotiations. And Justice Department folks have said, you know, we're still open to some sort of a settlement. So I think this is just kind of pushing it a little more and kind of trying to get a better negotiating position for some sort of a, some sort of concessions from AT&T. But, but I don't think this is ultimately going to, going to wind up, you know, being, uh, I think it's going to end up being settled is, is my yeah. prediction. On I, this. Think, I think it, I think so too. But, but to me, it's still, uh, you know, problematic that the, the government sort of weighs in, uh, sort of puts its hand on the uh, finger on the scale a little bit in terms of, uh, of, of reaching that settlement. Odd for the Trump administration. I mean, this is the kind of thing you might expect. And weird thing, I mean, this is kind of a weird sort of flip-flop. Back in 2011, when there was a similar deal, similar deal in the works, Com- Comcast wanted to acquire NBC Universal. the Obama administration gave its, gave its go-ahead to that after they imposed, you know, a few conditions on the transaction, a similar kind of thing, a vertical merger. And here you have, so, you know, there you had a case of Democrats being okay, a Democratic administration being okay with big corporate merger, and here you have a Republican administration not being okay with it. So it's like we're in bizarro world a little bit here. Well, I think this is another example of of why you know I say over and over again, Trump isn't a a a, a true conservative in the sense of uh, he really has ever you know given much thought to what it means to have smaller, less intrusive government and so forth. Uh, he sort of he likes what he likes uh, and is sort of a pragmatist and. Um, and I, I, wonder, I don't exactly. I'd say I, oh, I wonder ahead. how much I wonder how much Donald Trump really had to do with this. You know, I right. mean, I, I don't I don't see him getting deep into the weeds of antitrust law or anything. Yeah. So. Yeah. Now, again, if, if someone from the Justice Department perhaps briefed him and said, "Yeah, look, we we've we've taken a look at this," which is which is that's their that's their duty to do that. Uh, Federal Trade Commission is is to take a look at that, and said, "Now there may be some concerns." Uh, you know, we can't tell you for sure that, that this is a problem or that we'd win. I, I could see him pulling the trigger saying, ah, let's get, you know, that kind of thing. But but obviously, I think the initial analysis would have been done by, you know, lawyers, uh, you know, very smart people, but sort of deep in the bowels of the the FTC uh, uh, antitrust division. Yeah. Yeah. And certainly if you if you wanted that, if you wanted the government to stop it, you would say to the president, you know, President Obama approved a similar thing when when he was president. And that would be a, a good way to go about it. But uh, that's how the conversation went. It could be. Yeah. Yes. No, more than- yeah, definitely. All right. Uh, before we move on to our next story, we'd like to thank our newest supporter, Chris from Cypress, Texas. Uh, Chris writes. Hey, Mike, Jay, and Trey, I really enjoy listening to the show throughout the week. It's great to listen to opposing viewpoints without all the shouting and other nonsense that's become so prevalent in political discussions. I'm also a fan of Mike's blog. I work in restaurant management, and I really found the most recent article about farm labor very relevant to my industry and the struggles we have with staffing our restaurant. Please keep up the great work. So thanks oh. very much, Chris. We really appreciate that. We appreciate your support. It means a lot to us. Um, and you know, support of great listeners like Chris really helps us to keep the politics guys going. If you would like to join them, join him and help out the show, go to politics. I can, I can say our web address, politicsguys.com and click on the Patreon link. Okay. Untie my tongue before we get to our next story. Um, you know, the string of unfavorable rulings against President Trump's executive actions continued uh, this week. This time, though, it wasn't his immigration ban, but his order that would have discharged all transgender troops in the military and kept transgender people from enlisting. Although I should, I should, I don't want to knock you off here, but nope. but we should mention because we didn't mention this last week. Yep. That uh, the ninth, the ninth circuit uh, actually uh, took some pretty big steps to reverse the Hawaii decision, which would have uh, essentially affirmed a lot of the Trump new travel ban. We right. didn't. We didn't get into that, but I'm. I'm yeah. just saying, if we're keeping score of the scorecard. 
Okay, yeah, yeah, on, I, on, to, I, on to the transgender. Right. I, I still think if, if we, we, we maybe could do a, a Trump injunction, executive order injunction scare, scorecard, though I don't think it would look very good for the president ultimately. But anyway, in this case, the judge, um, Marvin Garbus of the Federal District Court from Maryland. Now, he's a George H.W. Bush appointee back when there were occasionally moderate Republicans in the world, um, said that the order likely violated the Constitution's guarantee of equal protection. And now this injunction follows one last month by another federal judge, but it goes further than that one because it also blocks the part of the order that prohibits the military for paying for gender reassignment surgery for troops. So, Jay, what are your thoughts on, well, first on this injunction, or what do you think the conservative sense is on this, and also where things might go from here? Uh, you know, look, I, I think from the beginning, you know, you and I both agreed that this was sort of a, a solution in search of a problem. Uh, that, that, you know, was, was, you know, and everything going on was, was the, uh, probability of transgender, uh, troops serving in our military, really a big one. Um, even if it was, uh, again, as you said, I mean, the, the, the administration, uh, and the military has pretty wide latitude in determining how to, to run its own house. Uh, but it, it's got to show that it's it's got some substantial rational reasons for doing so. And I don't think there was any such showing made in this case. It, it this is this is kind of policy by tweet uh, where where he, he tweeted this out, you know, one morning and uh, much, much to the surprise of, of the Joint Chiefs and everyone else who, who might have had a, a say in this. Um, so, again, this is sort of a fight he started without being ready for it and for no good reason. So I, I, I very much. Much I, I think the the courts have gotten it right so far. Um, you know, there there may be a way to to fix it. Uh, you know, much as they did with the immigration, you go back, you make findings, you issue another order. Um, but that you know gets to the larger question of of why. I yeah. mean, yeah, it's it's a it's a battle that just doesn't make any sense from a from a strategic standpoint, from a fact standpoint. It just seems one of those bizarre Trump things that has leaves most people scratching their heads, I think. And I'm one of them certainly, but, but I agree with you that yeah. the courts have gotten it right. And, and, you know, based on the law and the facts on everything, it just seems like a, a pointless sort of thing to do. And uh, I, I expect that uh, this is a, an executive order that ultimately will not end up going into effect for some very good reasons. Well, and especially when we, we've, we have a national policy that that allows uh, homosexuals to serve in the military, and and the the, the definition of of transgender, well, this is this is sort of a, a conservative gripe. A lot of times is that it sort of means a whole lot of different things to a lot of different people, um, uh, and it, and it always seems to be sort of shifting, um, but but my sense is that that uh, homosexuality sort of uh, encompasses a lot of transgenderism and vice versa. So we've, we've already sort of been here and done that. Um, but, uh, well, well, you know, it's, in, yeah, it's I, I was going to say kind of a broader point. And one of the frustrating things or difficult things I, I would say about legislating in this area is it's always, I think, more difficult to, to legislate or put in place regulations when you're dealing with sort of fluid things. And, and, the more we learn about, I think, human sexuality, the more we find that it's not really a series of, for, for many people at least, of binary categories, but it's oftentimes a somewhat more fluid continuum. And, and that makes it a lot trickier to write good regulations and, and good laws. And so that that's a real problem for policymakers, I think. Right. And, and all the more reason uh, to me why, unless there's some good good reason that that we're hearing from the military of this is a problem with you know unit cohesion was the argument that that used to be made or or troop morale or or uh, just other whatever problems in, in governing the military making the military less effective uh, uh, then it's it's something that we just ought to weigh out stay out of and if if someone wants to serve their country then uh, then God bless them you know yeah absolutely absolutely all right well let's let's move on to our last story for today you know uh, we talked about it last week and kind of as we expected I think the uh, I, I guess I'll call it the sad and tragic sort of uh, saga of 
sexual harassment continued on this week. I mean, first there was that revelation that in 2015, uh, Democratic Representative John Conyers uh, settled a wrongful termination lawsuit against the staffer he allegedly sexually harassed. And Democratic House Leader Nancy Pelosi responded by calling for an ethics committee investigation. And he, the Conyers admits the settlement, but denies the claims of harassment. And then there were also claims from uh, several more women who accused Senator Al Franken of groping them during photo ops. And Franken says he doesn't remember the incidents, but he apologized if the women felt disrespected, which they obviously did. Um, now, in a recent poll of Minnesotans, 33% said Franken should resign, while 36% he should wait for the results of a Senate Ethics Committee investigation before making uh, any kind of decision on that. And Finally, President Trump gave what some people are calling an endorsement. I call it more of kind of a boost to Alabama Republican Senate candidate Roy Moore, who, of course, is accused of multiple instances of inappropriate behavior, some with underage women while he was in his 30s. And, and again, it wasn't an official endorsement. Trump placed emphasis on Moore's denials of the allegations, as well as expressing skepticism about claims from so long ago coming to light only now. So, Jay, uh, well, what do you think about that? You know, these, do you think we're going to see more, uh, coming out of Congress? And do you think that these revelations are kind of rise to the same level as the earlier things or, or what? Well, we're seeing just a lot of weirdness. I, this is, um, <laughs> Peggy Noonan had a, a really good piece just commenting on how the, the allegations that we're hearing, it's, it's, it's coming. I mean, the front because it's, it's, it's a little weirder. It's, it's more prurient, I guess, than, than what the, I don't know. It, it sort of, you, you think of like, uh, you know, let's call it, let's call it classic sexual harassment. Um, you know, it's sort of, you think back to like Mad Men kind of days, you know what I mean? It's, it's, uh, Don Draper hitting on his secretary and, and that sort of thing. Um, this is, this is sort of the, the, uh, open, the open robe and, uh, I'm having a meeting in my shower. Um, you know, that sort of thing where, um, I, I again, to me, you know, who, who does this, but apparently a lot of people. Um, so uh, anyway, I, that's, that's just my little editorial commentary that, no, absolutely. But no, I think there's, there's more to come and there's, there's, there's a big, there's a big push, uh, now to open up all of these, these congressional records to who was paid and why, um, that that's going to become perhaps irresistible, uh, you know, before we get to, to Christmas and, and more of these, these stories come out and the stories are all different. There, there was a Republican congressman and, and, uh, his name escapes me from Texas. Joe Barton. Uh, yeah. Joe Barton. Yeah. Well, Joe, Joe made some bad choices. Okay. Uh, I'll say, I'll say, I heard <laughs> now I, I think, thankfully I haven't seen it, but apparently he, uh, either taped or allowed himself to be taped yes. in a video, um, um, a masturbating and, you know, that to me is, you got to say, if you are a member of Congress, I mean, no, yeah, <laughs> you know, and who wants to see that? And who would think that, yes, this would be a somehow, this is, this to me is just the primary example of how you can be the smartest person in the world and sex makes some awfully smart people awfully stupid because, wow, that's about as dumb as, as dumb as it gets, you know, um, it's just mind boggling to me. So that to me, again, is, is more just, again, the weirdness of, yeah. of this whole thing. Now, now, Barton, I think it's uh, it's there's there hasn't been any actual complaint that what Barton did was was non-consensual. Right. Um, uh, uh, but uh, um, just gross and creepy, I guess. It's, it's, people would say. It's, just, it, it's just really unusual. Um, it was kind of like that. Remember the guy in the tiger suit a couple of years ago? The guy in he the tiger was, suit. The tiger sounds, suit, yeah. That sounds vaguely familiar, with, but I can't recall yeah. now. He was a Democrat from California, uh, and he had a he had like that was his his deal was like, you know, he had he you know, he was sexually turned on by like dressing up like animals and so. Oh jeez, okay, yeah, I actually, I've heard touch. something about this. We'll find, yeah, it. Sure. We'll, we'll find it, but it's it's important news. But um, <laughs> no, I I think, yeah, I think there's more to come. Um, and and we'll sort of see where where people stand now. Again, Trump is, as as usual, I think, sort of botching this. Um, in in you know why does why does he need to sort of uh, make any statements about uh, Roy Moore? Um, uh, Ivanka actually uh, made you know some uh -huh. sort of damning statements uh, against Roy Moore. Um, and I think he's just falling into the the usual competitive trap of if if somebody says something, he's going to say something back. Um, so no, I, I don't, I agree. It's, it's sort of a non-endorsement and, 
uh, he'd actually be in a better position if he just said nothing about about it. And and likewise with with the Franken situation, um, if you're a a thinking about overall grand Republican strategy, uh, again, this is going to be me being Machiavellian. Um, I absolutely do not want Al Franken to resign. <laughs> you want him you want him right there where you can see him. Um, you know, from a from a strategy point, would if, if there were a special election, would the Republicans be likely to pick up the Minnesota Senate seat? Doubtful. Um, would would there probably be a goofy primary uh, that you could all stress money? money? Uh, yes. Now again, there's there's some argument of, hey, we're spreading the field, and that would be another race they'd have to defend and so forth. Uh, but I think that the downside outweighs. Uh, I think Al Franken at this point is kind of neutralized. Right. Right. Well, I mean, his his big was was a sort of a fundraiser for a lot of these candidates. And I think that's that's been taken away now. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there was some talk uh, uh, after his book came out about, well, you know, maybe Al Franken is the future of the party and maybe there's a there's a presidential run in, in the future. And I, I won't I won't rule out anything, certainly, given given the sexual history of the man who's currently in the Oval Office. But uh, that seems to be uh, a little less uh, likely, I would say, than it was a few months ago. So. But yeah, I agree with you. There's more to come and that's a good thing. And uh, more of this should come out. All right. Uh, it is time for what we're reading, where we step back from uh, the news cycle and talk about the more in-depth kind of thoughtful things we're reading, listening to or watching. And today uh, I have kind of a, a, a very policy wonkish sort of thing. It's a great article. This is going to sound weird. I probably people have never put this together. A great article about the chain CPI. That sounds like those two things don't go together now. Wow. Yeah, okay. I want change CPI is a hugely important thing. Um, what change CPI is, it's another way of calculating inflation, basically. It's a different way of calculating inflation from. And by how, CPI, you mean consumer price index. Yes. So, thank you. Yes. From, from the standard way. And it, it is important right now because many Republicans, in fact, in the Republican tax bills, they want to switch inflation calculations to from regular CPI to chain CPI. And what that would have the effect of doing is it would, since chain CPI tends to be a lower inflation figure, generally speaking, that would mean that uh, it would be essentially a stealth tax raise. It would boost people up into further tax brackets or higher tax brackets over time more quickly than using regular CPI. And a kind of a weird little historical note, uh, tax brackets did not used to be uh, did not used to be linked to inflation in any way. But one of the things that President Reagan did when he came into office and they did a tax reform was to actually link tax brackets to inflation. Uh, and so that, that only started in the 1980s. But uh, now in the Republican bills, they actually want to change the inflation indicator that they're linked to. And this article is really fascinating, at least if you're at all interested in policy things. Uh, it talks about the differences between regular CPI and chain CPI, how it's calculated in the first place, which one's more accurate, and if we can even accurately calculate inflation as a general thing. Anyway, uh, if, if you like this kind of thing, you'll love this. If you don't like this kind of thing, well, then, you, know, you won't like it at all, but I think it's a really it. great read. Yeah, absolutely. So no, uh, do you have- I, I think that- no, I think that sounds good because, again, something that always has concerned me is the idea of, of bracket creep. Uh, and that's what sort of sort of happens here. And, and again, CPI, when we're talking about inflation, because different industries uh, move at different paces, you can see rapid deflation in one and, and hyperinflation, well, probably hyperinflation, but, but yeah, uh, inflation. much longer. And, and it depends on, on what you're into. I mean, look, if you're if you're someone who has uh, kids going to college uh, or you need a lot of medical care, then you're certainly seeing a different real CPI for you uh, than what the average person would would see. So, yeah, absolutely. All right. Do you have, do you have anything for us today? So, yeah, for, for me, and this is uh, uh, this is sort of the opposite of yours. Yours is like <laughs> okay. a hyper wonkish. Mine is, is sort of big picture inspirational because I was accused of being uh, too. Uh, um, Machiavellian. Well, I guess what, too, what, too, too Machiavellian, too, too, uh, uh, too much of a, a realist. Um, every year since 1961, uh, the Wall Street Journal. Journal has published two editorials on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, the, the first uh, being called uh, "From the for, uh, in the Desolate Wilderness," and uh, and the second being "In the Fair Land." Um, and, and the Desolate Wilderness is a uh, 
excerpt from the journal of uh, one of the Mayflower uh, voyagers. And really, you know, it, it's one of these things that just to get some some sense of of perspective of of what life was like in 16. 16- in 20 versus what life is like now and, and, and what we do have to be thankful for and grateful for. Um, you know, really, if you, you think about the, the pilgrim story, it's, it's incredible. I mean, they left one country, they stayed another, uh, they left, uh, uh, friends and family knowing that they would never see them again. Uh, the original immigrants, this isn't a situation where, yeah, the original immigrants, um, and and they uh, they were willing to do this uh, based on, on on because they wanted to practice their religion as they saw fit and have some degree of uh, uh, self governance uh, that they didn't have uh, in England. Um, and it's 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 just if you think about, it, I mean, how many people would be willing to make that type of um, uh, commitment today? But but there still are. The, those people. And then again, that's, that's, that's even, even bigger because you think, uh, yeah, there are, are people who, who leave everything behind knowing that they, they can never go back, uh, knowing that they may, may die in the process. Um, and in fact, over, over half of the, the, uh, pilgrims uh, did die. Um, and they still stuck wow. it out. So I mean, yeah. it, it's, it, I think if, if you, you read that and you know what they were up against, um, uh, and the perseverance and the belief and the faith. Because uh, uh, again, faith is something, and I, I don't even necessarily mean this in a religious sense. They obviously they did, but uh, but the idea that, uh, look, what you're doing is the right thing and is going to accomplish something at the end of the day, um, that's that's just really difficult to, to uh, you know, <laughs> would have been really difficult to keep up uh, un- under the circumstances that, that they had. Uh, and then the, 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 the fair land, which is the, the piece that sort of accompanies it, uh, is just sort of about all the, the, the greatness and potential, um, of America. And, and, and look, I, I think it's, it's worth, uh, going back and checking these out. Uh, again, they publish them every year and have published them every year, uh, since 1961. Um, but that's, that's my sort of bigger picture, uh, put some perspective on things piece for this week. All right. And as always, we'll have links to those on in the show notes and on, on the uh, website. All right. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We hope you like what you heard. And if ad-free episodes like this one are what you prefer, we hope you'll consider joining our great group of Politics Guys sustaining supporters by going to politicsguys.com and clicking on the Patreon link. And if you want to support the show without spending anything, you can share this episode with your friends and followers or pass along our new show posts and tweets on Facebook and Twitter. And leaving reviews and ratings on iTunes also does help. If you want to get in touch with us, we're at mail at politicsguys.com. There's also a face, our Facebook page, facebook.com slash politicsguys page. And we're also on Twitter at politicsguys. The executive producers of the Politics Guys are Michael Baranowski, Jay Carson, Trey Orndorff, and Bruce Johnson. Today's show was produced by Michael Baranowski. We'll be back with a new show on Wednesday. We hope you'll join us.